You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for my favorite subject, Toronto Real Estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And in our show, we're going to talk about whether or not sellers are poised for a post-COVID-19 pandemic blitz. Uh, the last couple of months just been a bit of a waiting period, and all of a sudden things are going to go crazy. We're going to talk about some of the different views on that and what government intervention is on the table today for Ontario real estate and will millennials ever, ever, ever own real estate again? We're going to talk. We're going to talk about these topics today. But as an investor and a broker myself, I want to know where's there opportunities in our market, and that's why we put this show together. And we've been having so much fun over the last year and a bit. I don't know about you guys, but I truly enjoy it. But talking about news and things opening up, and where we're going to seize the opportunity tomorrow, Friday, we enter stage one. Let's go, folks. And I'm excited. Our family is pumped to go to the zoo. We have a special place for the zoo in our hearts here at the Watson residence. It's where I met my now wife, Sandra, while she was working. She was actually working at the zoo. And there she was in her uniform. And I knew straight away that she was a keeper. (laughs) Okay, okay. Partly true. She actually worked in commercial leasing. But hit that subscribe, like this video if you agree that it's pretty much the same thing these days. (laughs) But here we go. We're going to our first topic. We're going to talk about our sellers poised for post-COVID-19 pandemic blitz. This is a Globe and Mail article. We're going to start here, but we're not going to end here. We're going to talk about the different perspectives on what's going to happen in the next couple months. Here we go. The pace of the Toronto area real estate market has dropped a gear after a highly charged start to the year. We've been experiencing that over the last couple months, but it's wild out here. It really is. We're just a bunch of tailless monkeys paying over asking for a 500 square foot property any given day of the week. (laughs) Oh, I love zoo puns, but bidding wars are less heated. Some properties are sitting longer and some homeowners have delayed their plans to list. So they asked a few folks in the real estate community and in banking economists what they think is going to happen next. We're going to start with Eli Davis, real estate agent from Sotheby's International Realty. He says he does not see a dramatic slowdown Coming every day, I'm getting two to three appraisal calls. I think it's going to be a very busy summer. There's one perspective, and I tend to agree we're going to have a busy summer, though I would prefer there to be a little bit of a a calming in our market. I don't know. I see a lot of movement happening. But we also had the question posed to senior economist of RBC, Robert Hoagie, who's fantastic at really hitting just... He, I don't know. He gives a lot of quotes and he's just in every news article these days. Maybe he's one of the more controversial economists. That's probably why. But he says the market watchers should not mistake the sales decrease for a sign of rapidly cooling demand because activity is still far above pre-pandemic levels. So I thought, you know what? Let's look at RBC's predictions and their predictions reflect what he's saying here today from another Globe and Mail article. This is what they say. RBC revised its housing forecast higher, predicting how home prices will rise 13% this year, saying policymakers have done little to cool the frenzied real estate market. I agree. But if the market is going to cool itself, that is a good thing. But if the market starts to heat up again, maybe we missed an opportunity. But the bank, RBC, now expects the home resales to climb 16% this year and predicts the house price index, which measures appraised values, will jump 13%. To put it into context, they expected it to resales to rise six and a half, and they expected prices to rise eight. 
earlier in the year. So all of a sudden, obviously, they've revised it in the upwards direction. But RBC economists bravely set their sights on higher sales and prices. They've got a heart of a lion and a lifetime ban at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Molloy, an agent at Chestnut Realty Real Estate, says sales were front-loaded this year as low interest rates and optimism about the economy encourage buyers to jump in early. I agree. We experienced an early spring. I don't think anyone disagrees with that thinking nowadays. But he says we've used up in four months what we would have used in six. He says of the volume of transactions in a normal year, we need to replenish the buyer pool as well. What, how's that going to happen? Is that going to be existing folks or is it going to come from international, from immigration? Because he believes the market will strengthen when immigration resumes. So on the subject of immigration, I just want to take a bit of a tangent here. I saw a CBC.ca article yesterday, and this is what it's called. Pandemic likely to drive a surge in immigration fraud, border agency warns. In fact, a lot of applications are taking longer now because they're doing far more due diligence. Who would have thought? With Canada being so successful at their vaccine rollout and Canada just being fantastic as it is, apparently people want to live here. Who would have thought? The COVID-19 pandemic, the article reads, is likely to drive an increase in immigration fraud and human smuggling as desperate migrants try to get into our lovely Canada. They say with more people looking to immigrate, there is likely to be an increase in fraud in all immigration streams via the use of fraudulent supporting documentation to bolster visa or permanent resident applications, fraudulently acquiring travel documents to be able to board flights to Canada, and misrepresentation. This was from a report that they had in June last year. But listen to this. I mean people... So, I oh, before I go there, let's just think for a second. People could be smuggling worse things into Canada than people, no? Imagine a big cat escaping from its enclosure. That would make me poo my pants. <laughs> uh, but I do agree immigration, despite on top of what the federal government's projecting that we would have immigration numbers, I could see people wanting to come here. Obviously, if you're going to move to an expensive place like Toronto, you better have some, some money in your pocket. But let's look at the other side, shall we? Because not everybody agrees that it's all roses and nice, pretty things going into the later summer months and into the fall. So we're going to look at a different perspective. This is from Stephen Brown, senior Canada economist at Capital Economics, who points out that the latest data suggests residential investments, which rose to more than 10% of GDP, we've talked about on the show, in the first quarter has already peaked. We've maxed that out, dude. That's it. That's all you got. Residential investment made up of new construction, sales of existing homes, and renovations. In a striking development, Mr. Brown notes, this component of GDP has become larger than business and investments. We've talked about that too. A lot of people look at residential properties as an unproductive asset, right? They say weaker sales of homes and building materials along with slower building starts suggests residential investment will decline this quarter and naturally affect and decline a slowdown of our GDP growth. Canada is so reliant on GDP that you could also make the case we can't afford to have sales go down, unfortunately. I mean, we shouldn't be so strong to that. Now, when we look at the months of inventory, the weekly stats, Scott Ingram published the condo inventory is actually edging up. When we look at it from both, we see condos up to 1.6 months of inventory, which is still extremely low, but it's nice to see over the last few months an increase. But we still see a relatively low months of inventory in the low rise segment for the 416 sitting around 1.2. But personally, now that we've looked at it from both angles, I don't see the market shifting downwards in the fundamental sense. 
unless the government does something drastic, which would affect the market in what we would, what I like to call a psychological shift, but what John Pasalis calls a behavioral shift. Here's the, here's the two viewpoints. A fundamental shift he describes would be something like a traditional recession where job losses actually led to lower income and inability for homeowners to service their mortgage payments, leading some to sell. That he says is unlikely to happen anytime soon. If that was going to happen, 2020 would have been a pretty good time for that to take place. Thank you, Mr. Trudeau, for saving the day. But what about this behavioral shift, as he calls it? It would look a lot like what happened in April 2017 in the GTA when buyers suddenly hit pause on the home search. The sellers rushed in out of a fear that the provincial foreign buyers tax, remember that, would lead to lower home prices. He goes on to describe in this Twitter, in this Twitter tweet <laughs> this idea of what is behavioral shifts. But the description he gives is it's really a reverse bubble, right? It's not grounded on fundamentals. You got this bubble, this fear of missing out that kind of swells the market. But then there's whatever the opposite of fear of missing out is fear to still be in, let's say. And everyone runs all at the same time. But it's often triggered, I would say, by some form of intervention, some form of intervention. But oh, the good old days, man. 2017, remember? That was cute days, those ones. Prehistoric times. <laughs> that was before all the zoos closed, obviously, to protect the giraffes from COVID. Giraffe sick park. <laughs> but there you have it. That is just a bit of an update on what's going on there. But I want to jump over now. Right now, I want to start talking about what government intervention is on the table. Because if we know we're not going to have fundamental shifts... But we could end up with a behavioral shift, this idea that the government stepped in, did something funky, scared everyone off to the sidelines. Well, what could that be? Where is our biggest risk, I would say, to our market today? But you want to talk about a zoo, let's start with the federal level. John Pasalis makes a post here saying, interesting proposals from the conservatives, this was back on June 7th, by the way, to tackle housing affordability. Here are their thoughts, three of them. Number one, a temporary freeze on purchases by foreign buyers. Maybe we just say, no foreign purchases right now, please. Interesting thought. Number two, strengthening law enforcement to halt money laundering. Also an interesting thought. Maybe we stop all that money from pouring into our country. Number three, tax incentives focus on increasing the supply of purpose-built rentals, all of which I think would have immediate consequences in our market. And you could argue probably good, in some cases, good results in our market. But Obviously, we don't want anything good going on around these days. So it was voted down by the prime minister. So now the question is, is what's next? Because those don't work. Okay, what is currently on the table? Well, the feds are amazing at fixing houses, aren't they? Right? They're like hippos hiding in trees. <laughs> you, never, you know why you never see hippos hiding in trees? Because they're very good at it. <laughs> but a cbc.ca points to the new proposal that's coming from the other side of the aisle, the NDP. And this is at the provincial level now. So the official opposition party, the NDP, one of their members has put forward to the Ford government a tax on empty homes and real estate speculators to increase the stock of affordable housing in the GTA and beyond. We're going to get a little bit more into this article because you might sit back and think, hey, we're already doing all that. I mean, in a way, I guess we kind of are. We're going to talk about what is happening and where the NDP MPP Jessica Bell feels there's maybe holes in what's currently being done. But she introduced a motion in the provincial legislature on Thursday, that's today, to create a speculation and vacant home tax to increase the number of rental properties available. 
There we go. One of the things I thought was worthwhile noting when we talk about Toronto, this idea of a vacant home tax, is that the city of Ottawa, a lot of people like to make some comparisons there, is actually set to begin taxing vacant residential units next year. So they've already got a plan for that. But here's their explanation as it relates to expensive Toronto, expensive Hamilton. I mean, even Hamilton is reaching astronomical levels. But she says this. We have too many people sleeping on our streets and in our parks. We have too many people who cannot afford their rent. And we have too many people, generations of young people and immigrants who have given up on the dream of home ownership because it's too expensive. So what do they propose? Well, they propose a speculation tax that would target property owners who pay the majority of their taxes outside of Ontario. While the vacant home tax would be charged absentee owners who live and let their units sit empty for more than six months. That's the target province-wide, province-wide. In both cases, the tax rates would initially be pegged, she has asked, for 2%. But the NDP wants to play games with landowners, landowners. How cute, right? How cute. It's like a poacher saying to the rhino, got your nose. (laughs) Uh, Terrible landowners. My goodness. But I thought this is really funny. I had to include this in this article. Downtown condo resident, Jacko Joubert, Joubert, this guy is taking on it himself to figure out and research how many vacant homes there is. Listen to this. His, his research supports Bell's proposal, by the way. He used light detecting camera technology to estimate the vacant rate in some buildings. <laughs> I feel bad for Jacko's neighbors though, but he's, his technique suggests that a rental or the vacancy rate as, are as high as 13% in some cases and no, and on average, 5.6% of units sat empty. This is according to Jacko's research. <laughs> Which would you call it Jacko's research? It sounds far more legitimate. But then I want to talk about the counterpoint. And then we're going to talk about where there's holes in what's currently being discussed. Because if this is on the table, I mean, it's got to be something new, right? It absolutely is something new. But the counterpoint is obviously coming from the real estate industry. Don't mess psychologically, behaviorally with our market. Realtor Linda Penizotto, founder of a nonprofit group called Condo Owners Association, says vacancies are up. So here's the thing, guys. You're doing this, but vacancies are up. And many of our members are desperate to find tenants or planning on selling their units. They can't even find tenants today. And here you are trying to stamp them out by making it even harder. She says COVID has already created problems in the rental scene in downtown Toronto. This is not the time to put more things on there of this nature. People are already struggling to hopefully get their lives back. What what better time than now? And the argument is, is you can't do this to us now. <laughs> But from where I'm sitting, as an investor, as someone in the real estate community, when I'm sitting back and I'm looking at the stats, man, I'm already seeing quickly changing market stats in favor of the landlord today. I mean, I was looking at a chart this morning from Zeland on Twitter, looking at total inventory of GTA rental residential listings on the MLS, and it's sitting quite low. It's sitting sitting under 9,400. At its peak during COVID, the worst case scenario during COVID was over 16,500. And here we are well below 10,000. So you can't make the case that we're struggling in the same sense as we were during the peak of the pandemic. But oh, poor landlords, right? They're struggling. We should help them. We should help them. Don't worry, bro. We're good. Landlords are good. But libtards be like, don't you get sad when you watch gorillas using sign language to ask for food? It's a shame there are so many deaf gorillas. (laughs) You don't need to pick a fight with the landlords. Stop picking a fight with the landlords. 
And and obviously it's a similar position that we get in the real estate community right now because Jason Mercer of Treb, chief market analyst, says he doesn't see a justification for speculation and vacant taxes. Other levels of government are looking at some types of tax to incentivize more units available for rent or sale. Guys, Ontario, take a chill pill. You don't need to do anything. In fact, we have other levels, all the other levels, <laughs> municipal, federal, looking into this already. So just relax. But is the government policy being looked at right now wide enough? So here's some details. So December 2020, Toronto City Council voted 24 to 1 to introduce a vacancy tax. So we've got it coming. In fact, they wanted it in 2022, next year, much like we heard is going on in Ottawa. But the details are still being worked out. So the thinking is, is Toronto's already working on that. So therefore the province shouldn't. But the obvious response would be, well, that only deals with Toronto. Should we not be looking at this from a provincial standpoint? We've seen far more affordability issues outside of Toronto these days as well. But how many homes are vacant in Toronto? Good question. So the number of vacant homes in Toronto is unknown at this time, but I thought this was an interesting perspective. If 1% of Toronto's housing stock is vacant and subject to tax, then based on the number of 800,000 taxable residential properties within Toronto, it can be expected that the number of vacant homes that may be subject to tax would range approximately 6,400 to 9,600 homes but nothing can be accurately determined at this time. That's a lot of freaking homes, right? That would be exposed to this tax that are potentially sitting vacant. Interesting. And that would obviously open up a lot of housing. You want to talk about what could be a risk. I mean, you talk about foreign ownership being this foreign buyer tax. It was what shaked the market in 2017. How about something like this that actually has a material impact or could hypothetically have a material impact? But weakness in the Toronto vacancy home is obviously it doesn't talk to places like southwestern Ontario, where we see a huge house, huge housing crisis or in crunch right now as well. But what about the non-resident speculation tax? The other side, right? Didn't the federal government, the Ministry of Finance just say, hey, we're going to have this. Plus, we've got in 2017, this 15 percent tax that's in the greater golden horseshoe already. The one that shook the market up in 2017. Aren't these things sufficient? In fact, they raised, by the way, $45 million in taxes between April 1st and June 30th, 2020, just from the, the figures of this 15% speculation tax. But Bell, this, this person that's putting forward this motion, points that this is a one-time tax, one-time tax on the purchase price. It doesn't actually deal with an ongoing fees. Maybe we should tack on annual fees on properties that sit empty. This is the difference of this thinking. That's right. Keep picking those fights with those gorilla landlords, man. But I'll warn you, you know why gorilla nostrils are so big? <laughs> Just look at those fingers. <laughs> uh, weakness in the federal speculation tax. This is what I want to talk about next. So we just heard the recent announcement in January that, uh, or sorry, in a couple months ago, actually, the, when was the budget? Last month? Two months ago? The last couple months. But starting January 22nd, or sorry, 2022, whew, Starting at the beginning of January of this coming year, the government is going to apply a 1% annual tax on the value of non-resident, non-Canadian-owned properties that are vacant or underused. So that's already been announced. So why is the province talking about doing this still? Is it not the same thing? Well, not really. And the big difference here would obviously be that they're starting to target local investors, not just foreign investors, which you guys will remember when I was talking about, I thought that was quite a big hole. 
I mean, not only do they need to be foreign investors, but they also need to be vacant. So let's uh, let's say it's a foreign investor that's not vacant. They're not impacted. Or let's say it's it's a vacant home owned by someone who lives in Ontario. It all of a sudden doesn't fall under this category. But this pr proposal at the Ontario level would. So here are my thoughts on these things. So my thinking is further taxes is a very slippery slope. That kind of comes from my... I guess my conservative background, I think, why do we keep adding more and more taxes? Here's where we are today. Let me give you, let me give you the scenario. Step one, let's raise development costs, land transfer taxes, minimum down payments, stress tests. Let's protect the market, right? Let's add taxes. Let's add things that makes more things expensive. Step two, now first time home buyers have to rent because they, and they create massive competition because they're competing against each other. They can't afford those houses because of all of those fees. So step three, we got to protect the tenant, all of these people running around and they're getting screwed over by landlords now, opportunistic landlords. So let's protect the tenant by creating something called rent control, a terrible idea that pushes rent prices upwards. And I found myself in a conversation on our YouTube channel with uh, Billy Miner, who left a comment. Why am I seeing rent for townhomes in York region going up 30% these past couple of months? I thought rent control was in place. This is what he said. My response is rent control drives up rents up, which is, the, which is, in my opinion, obvious. But it obviously leads to there's, what's happening here is we have a high tenant turnover. So his question, I think a lot of people would have in this discussion, he says, I thought landlords were only allowed to raise rents 2% a year. It's definitely not the case because we look at the stats. No matter where I look within the GTA, a decent townhouse goes for 3,000 where back on January was able to get one for 2,400. Here's what he says. So my response and my response to anyone that asks how does rent control increase prices is this. Once the tenant, once the tenant goes or leaves, the, the rent it just goes sky high, right? Because you can, you can now match it with the rent rates of the time. Rent control only applies as long as the same tenant stays. It's an important factor. Really, it's an important factor. Why do you think you hear so many rent evictions? Because that's your opportunity to boost the rent. But this year, you want to make matters worse. This year, Ontario is, is not allowing any increases in 2021. So if rent control increases rent, do the math. What do you think is going to happen? We're going to experience sky high rent rates I think it's a simple, a simple scenario that we're seeing play out right in front of us. But that leads to step number four. People get confused when Canadians and foreigners see owning land as the best business in town and they want to take up the supply. And, and it's funny because it all ends up coming from the perspective of let's raise fees, let's raise taxes. And here we are. So naturally, we get to step five, as proposed by the NDP. Why don't we force the landlord to use housing as rentals? There, problem solved. One more level of taxation, one more level of in, if, in intervention. But Jesus forbid we go back to the drawing board, right? Because I think that might be what's necessary, but how difficult is that? You know what you get when you cross a chimp with an elephant? <laughs> a meeting with the ethics committee and the swift removal of your research funding. <laughs> but that's maybe what we need to do here. Maybe we need to reinvent the wheel a little bit. So here's what I think we should be doing instead. Here we go. One, Keep the cost of building and owning real estate low and remove rent control. How crazy a concept would that be? If you want to create limits, do it starting, this is my thinking, at property number two. 
Start stepping on toes once you get to that second property, not on property number one, which is all the policies have been impacting. When you make it hard at property one, you end up with one fifth of Canadians owning multiple properties and young Canadians priced out completely as we see today. That's what the numbers are showing us. And we're going to talk after our hot topics as well. I want to discuss millennials and getting into the market, what would that look like? Because I think we're facing a real risk here in the GTA. And I think there's a solution coming that might not be in our best interest. We're going to talk about that shortly, but my recommendation for you landlords, because I know there's a lot of landlords like myself that like to listen to the show, get up to date on what's going on in the market. Here's my advice, which I'm not allowed to give advice. Here's my, here's my advice to myself, (laughs) but I suggest all of these things considering I suggest locking down your rental units now. The reason is because I am noticing that the eyes are turning from foreign owners directly to homegrown landlords. So if you're a local landlord wanting to grow your portfolio, it's not about them anymore. Now it's about you. And as you start to have the light shining in your own eyes, things will get more challenging right? How much down payment do you need to get a multiple, to get a, an investment property? All of these things are coming down the pipes, which in my opinion is done rightly so, but it's going to affect a lot of you who haven't really had to deal with higher capital gains tax and higher down payment requirements as you get into the investing space, which brings me into hot topics. Here we go. Canadian luxury real estate markets are thriving. Who would have thought? Apparently the rich are still getting rich. In Toronto, lawmakers are proposing a luxury home tax on properties valued at more than $2 million. The levy would generate approximately 18.7 million bucks. Woo, big money, $18 million, right? Which would be allocated towards affordable housing and public transit projects. That'll put a little dent in our our deficit, no? But if approved, listen to this, North America's fourth largest city, Toronto, would be the only jurisdiction in Canada to adopt the tax. But industry observers warn that it would make Toronto real estate even less accessible. Funny how that works. You put tax and it gets a little harder and it makes it more expensive, maybe, to the average buyer since it would apply pressure to an already strained inventory. You can't move into those expensive properties to make room for housing for the next generation. So you're going to stay there. You're going to create competition at the levels slightly below. Funny how that works. But sales of Toronto homes worth more than $4 million surged, surged. See, listen to this. We saw a 52% gain across all price ranges, but we saw a surge over $4 million of 157% year over year in the first two months of 2021. Unbelievable the amount of transactions taking place at the expensive levels. In fact, we saw... They said five residential properties sold more than 10 million compared to only one the previous year. So we're seeing, in a sense, five times. I mean, I know it's only a few houses, but you get the point. We're starting to see luxury moving all the way through. If you haven't already and you're this far, if you're you're hoping that you can own a $4 million home, let's say, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, give us some support, give us a shout out, leave us a comment down below. Sometimes we like to mention those on our show. But I also got a lovely email from Treb. I always cherish the, the dialogue that I get from the president of Treb. And here's what it says. Treb denounces attack motivated by religious hatred. As Canada's largest and most diverse real estate board, we condemn the senseless and horrific act of violence against a Muslim family in London, Ontario. Very important that we come out with these statements. In fact, there's also a statement in the same email condemning the horror of residential schools. She says, together we stand united with fellow Canadians and Indigenous communities to honor the victims. Why am I talking about this in a real estate podcast? Exactly, right? But, you know, it's just Treb sharing a gentle reminder that religious people matter. 
And also, people attacked by religious people matter. <laughs> oh, the human species. We're all just animals after all. Just some are religious, right? They're like alligators. Oh, <laughs> uh, But can't we just stick to housing? This is the Toronto Real Estate Board, right? You're probably wondering why I'm even talking about it right now. Focus. Dance, monkey. All right, moving on. Let's talk about housing. Stories.com. <laughs> uh, Toronto 2051. Will we have flying cars before we figure out housing? Interesting question. Seems that way. But the city of Toronto recently announced they will be reviewing their official plan as they look ahead to Toronto 2051, dubbed, quote, our plan Toronto. The city is seeking input from the community on what we believe the city's future should hold. So if you guys want, get involved in that and let them know what you want to see housing look like in 2051. Okay. I want to get into our last and final topic here. Talking about millennials. Millennials have had a tough time, to say the least, during COVID. You know, they've been a lot of shifts happening. Rental markets been shaking, job insecurities, working from home, or am I going back to the office? And my God, if I ever afford a property. So I want to talk about if millennials will ever own real estate again, starting with an article from the star called I'm a millennial with a good income in Toronto's housing market. All I can afford is a parking space or storage locker. And I also, which sucks by the way, but I also don't want people who aren't millennials to think, ah, it's a millennials. That's a them problem. That's not my problem. It is. You're going to hear why in this discussion. With so many stories covering Ontario's red hot housing market, I wanted to know what my chances at home ownership are as an adult under 30 with a good income who already lives on their own in the city. They're already renting. I can already afford it. No. Well, now that we're allowed back to the zoo, maybe millennials should just build houses like penguins, right? How you ask? It glues it together. <laughs> to all my American listeners. No, we don't have penguins. No. But yes, we pay a million dollars for igloos around here. But she asked, so this reporter in this, this story asked the mortgage broker for a response. Do you th what do you think I can qualify for? You know, what do, what do we think? I, in fact, I know the real estate market. I, I'm writing about it. I'm a, I'm a news article. I don't know much about this person, but whatever. It's a common story. So she said, you're probably going to laugh. This is a mortgage broker, right? Telling me I may be able to obtain approval for around 150 grand. A mere 23% of the average cost of a condo in Toronto's market, according to Treb in the April 2021 condo report. So she's like, all right, 150,000. Let's search MLS to see what my options are. And she says, I can barely even find a garage. Within Toronto city limits, 21 listings appear on realtor.com or .ca under 150 approval. Several, as we know, there's a big trend. People put things for $1 listings. So you take all of those out and how many we got? We got eight. We got eight listings. And each of them is a parking space or a locker. That's it. They range in prices from 5,500 to 45,000. While they fall into my price range, the options lack one thing high on my list of criteria. My must-haves. A wall or walls. <laughs> you ungrateful millennial. Take what you can get, right? Just be glad you can afford a parking spot. In fact, in Hong Kong, I saw that there was a, the most expensive parking lots sold for 1.6 million. New record, <laughs> 45,000, come on. At least you've got a place to bring up your little penguin girlfriend back to, yeah? Net fish and chill. <laughs> but if I'm willing to leave Ontario completely, that's her question. I can find affordable housing in other provinces, right? They say clearly $150,000 is not gonna cut it if I wanna stay close to work. And here's the irony. 
and and to be honest with you, I wasn't going to include this article until I read this last part. I thought this is fantastic because I don't think anyone's talking about it from this perspective. Here's the irony. My monthly mortgage payment would work out to less than my current rent payments. There is no regulation in the rental market that takes affordability into the equation. I don't have to qualify to rent, but you put all these qualification measures in place. What a good point. Quote, all the stress test is doing is basically kicking out a bunch of people from the housing market, she said. They have no chance to get into the housing market because of these really strict qualifying rules. Does that sound like somebody you know? That's what I've been saying. First time home buyers are getting beat up by the stress test. But it's interesting because meanwhile, they say those with means to afford properties, you guys that already have homes in this red hot market, quote, are not impacted by the stress test increase at all. Remember how they ask all these, they asked me too, these reporters, what do you think about the stress test? What's it going to do? It's not going to affect a whole lot of people. It's not going to affect affordability in your city, but it's important for first time home buyers to know because they're the ones taking all of the weight of this, right? Quote, I think that what this is doing is creating the divide for the haves and the haves not. Interesting how that works, but the increasing stress test has marginalized first time buyers, namely millennials, let's say, including millennials. On the bright side, you don't need to qualify to rent. So you just have to do that. Is that the solution? Oh, well, I'm not suggesting that we create a, a barrier to people to be able to rent. I'm saying how crazy is that somebody can afford rent, but they can't afford to purchase if that purchase is actually cheaper than it is to rent. But just because you want to own a home doesn't mean you get to, right? Even if you love telling jokes about penguins and ostriches, they don't really fly around here. <laughs> But here's the kicker, guys. This is why it matters. This is why it matters. They'll migrate south. They'll migrate south. What if they leave? She talked about going east, right? But what if they leave? What if there's a place, a better place, greener pastures, (laughs) more affordable housing? Well, there is. Because the U.S. poses a serious threat to enticing Canadians' skilled workers to move south. This is a final Financial Post article. And I, this is the first time I'm hearing about this, which is why I wanted to talk about it as a subject today. Because I think we would be ignorant to ignore what's going on south of the border. The New York Times obtained a 46-page draft blueprint called the DHS Plan to Restore Trust in Our Legal Immigration System. This is the name of the blueprint. But the Joe Biden administration is making a 180 on the country's existing immigration policy, aiming to make it both significantly cheaper and easier for people to move to the U.S. Wait a minute. So a change in administration is changing the immigration policy of the states? Absolutely. Don't think Canadians won't move if they don't need to or if they do need to. Right? Don't think that we're so locked up. We aren't stuck in zoos like zoo animals here. We're free to go. Unlike a Quebec zoo with their baguettes in a cage, (laughs) you know, because they're bred in captivity. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm still a little salty from the whole Leafs playoff run. But anyways, in particular, we see three factors that may be just enough to tip the scales in convincing Canadians to make such a move when these changes come into effect. What's terrifying to me is their very legitimate arguments for moving to the U.S. Don't get me wrong. Toronto's the greatest city in the world. But if we can't afford to live here, Maybe the U.S. is a valid option for three reasons. Number one, more opportunities. Canada appears to be going all in on non-producing assets called real estate with residential investments accounting for a whopping 54% of GDP growth in Canada. And as we mentioned before, over 10% of the overall GDP. Meanwhile, other economies like the U.S. are seeing the benefits of diversifying their economies into highly competitive, disruptive sectors like technology, robotics, 
automation and renewables. It feels like just yesterday, Toronto and the GTA was a place for technological innovation. Could that be changing course? Because we look at housing as the be all and end all. Reason number two, lower taxes. The Biden administration may be increasing tax rates, but it is at a level that wouldn't apply to most Canadians considering a move south because we pay so much already here. Income tax rates are similar across provinces, whereas in the States, different states have different tax rules and some have little to no tax income tax at all, which is sweet. Looking ahead, we think material, material tax hikes are on the horizon. This is the other flip side in Canada. How can you not expect to see tax hikes coming down the pipes? I think you'd be ignorant to not think that the liberals will finally get their much desired majority government, which could happen, leading to Bank of Canada having to pay back their record-breaking deficits through how? Taxation. Maybe now's the chance to jump ship. Take all the benefit of CERB. Maybe I take my opportunity to get out before I got to pay that all back and my future generations do, which is brings us to number three, housing. It's cheaper, cheaper homes. The city of Hamilton, right? City of Hamilton, which has long been thought of like kind of your next market that's relatively affordable. Well, is now more expensive than Los Angeles. Think about that for a second. Many younger, highly skilled Canadians are simply priced out of their home markets when it comes to owning a home. But that is not an issue in most U.S. cities. It certainly helps that the Canadian dollar as well is a top performer in the G7 this year, thereby reducing the foreign exchange hit while offering a chance to get paid long-term in the world's reserve currency, the US dollar. Maybe this is your chance to jump across. Incredible arguments in favor of why someone would say, you know what, to hell with Canada. It's way too cold in this hell. <laughs> but treat them kindly or they'll get up and go, right? Just ask the crocodile who left her husband because he had a reptile dysfunction. <laughs> but we worry that a, a skyrocketing, this is, this is their, their, their conclusion to this article. It summarizes it great. We worry that a rocketing Canadian dollar, an out of control housing market, massive tax hikes to fund the liberals built back better agenda and an immigration friendly US administration might just be the catalyst Canadians need to seek warmer jurisdictions. There you go. Before we wrap up with a little joke, if you haven't already, please leave us an iTunes review. I really appreciate that. And you know what? I'm going to start sharing some of the reviews because who knows? You leave a review, maybe you'll hear your name here. But I got a, 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 a review here from KGAD90 called the Best Toronto Real Estate Podcast. Sweet. Here's what he says. Bradley Watson is a pleasure to listen to. He's really funny. I love the jokes. Informative and insightful. It's a great podcast that provides a heartbeat of what's happening in Toronto real estate. Perfect. Thanks, Grandma. Appreciate it. But subscribe, like if you could as well. And like if you plan on booking zoo tickets, Friday, tomorrow, opportunity, before it's too late, right? You're going to fill up pretty quick. But make sure it says good zoos, the good ones. Not one of those dinky ones, you know? Trust me, I made a mistake once. <laughs> there was only one animal in the entire place, a dog. It was a shit zoo. <laughs> I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.